You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Media on the Radio features stories from media professionals, everyone from journalists to filmmakers to marketing experts, to try and give an entree into the entire media field. This is another part in the series on The Lookout DC, uh, which is a space, a collaborative, a co-working space for mostly filmmakers and video production professionals in Washington, D.C. Today, we talked to Fabian Tejada, who's a talented motion graphics artist who also spent many years in working in New York City for different agencies, uh, working on some big campaigns, some very well-known brands, and kind of the transition he made when he moved to D.C., getting more into the work of nonprofits and filmmakers. If you keep pouring into projects that are not giving in anything back other than money, you start feeling empty after a while. The creative process is not something that you can necessarily quantify or put any metrics to it. It's something, sometimes it's like, it's a feeling. This is Devin Gallagher. I'm the host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. But I started basically working at production studios in New York. Oh, okay. So advertising agencies, production studios, effects uh, houses, uh, and even uh, one or two TV channels. Like, cool. Uh, one of my first gigs was at uh, MTV back in 2002 doing just graphics for, that used to be called the on-air graphics department. So, like like Chiron and that sort of uh, thing? Well, mostly packaging and design. Uh, one of the bigger... Uh, marquee projects that I did there was uh, I was part of the team doing the VMA packaging. They did it in-house back then, so I would do the background animations for the stage. Did you get that kind of right out of college or when you were young? Uh, When I got out of college, I started working at this uh, startup called Sudo.com and it was based down in um, uh, down in Soho and uh, what Sudo was trying to do at that time, also, there was another competitor called Den.net. And what Tudo.com did back then uh, was original content to be streamed online. So it was an idea, I mean, good for the time, but it, the technology hadn't caught up. Caught up. Kind of like now, we have Netflix streaming stuff and uh, YouTube. And you imagine YouTube creating original content. Was that, was that with the perhaps with the guy that was a, like an internet speculator billionaire yes josh harris yeah 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 i know i i don't know him but i saw the documentary oh yeah we, i uh, work for him you, you work for him <laughs> yeah so we uh we live in public is that the documentary yes and i remember actually uh uh um still working at sudo when he started that project wow so you were you weren't part of the collective that lived down in the basement in no, New York, right? No, uh, some people <laughs> chose to do that. Some of the more uh, ex- uh, colorful and eccentric characters <laughs> of downtown New York. So I remember that. That's interesting. So you were part of that kind of group that that it was seemingly what I think he was a billionaire, right? Or, or yeah, he a, made he made a, co- a couple million dollars uh, oh, speculating okay. on the technology and okay. what was going on the internet. Uh, had he kept his head straight, kind of like Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. he could have been just like Mark Cuban. But uh, as he started getting all the adulation and the time, I mean, he was smart, uh, but obviously he, he developed this, uh, sp- sp- like you saw in the documentary, that split personality of that character, that, that, that crazy clown. 
and he will do these crazy things. And I would hear, you know, I'll be at my desk animating stuff and getting revisions and also, like, did you know that Josh just did this and that? And I'm like, I figures, because under one roof, we did everything. Uh, we did, uh, we, uh, uh, there was a channel just for hip hop. There was a channel just for um, space talk uh, about NASA. Another political channel. It's kind of like a like a mini political. Uh, which had producers and writers. Same thing for uh, street sound, for uh, DJ culture, niche niche programs. Um, even a hacker show was one of my favorite ones. That's interesting because you know if you look at him. Um he he speculated and made some money in the dot com mm-hmm. era, right? And then he, every kind of thing he did, in at least at, the only thing mm-hmm. I know is from the documentary. But it was kind of before a little bit too much of a pioneer, like yeah. too much before the time, yeah, uh, for it to catch on. Like you said, the technology wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. And then even um, he, so, for anybody who didn't see the documentary, he had this. Um, this underground bunker mm-hmm. where everyone is just kind of like lawless society where <laughs> everyone had a, a closed circuit TV in their bed that yes. could turn to any other oh camera. God. And it's one of those things where, yeah, it was crazy, but he was showing us what the world is going to look like yes. in 10 years when everyone is broadcasting from their phone and from their bedroom and from everywhere else. Yeah, it's like a survivor meets uh, Big Brother meets downtown art, creative art scene. All like usually All way before. Any, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, these shows that you see broadcasted are usually you cast people that are good looking, that are in certain shape. I mean, we will. He was casting for good looks, but also characters, people that have very colorful personalities, uh, people who were interesting, people who were radicals, and just to see how that mix of people, uh, that chemistry that happened there. I mean, at the end of the documentary, obviously, I'm not a spoiler, but it it just actually got pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a fantastic documentary. I I recommend it to a lot of people. It's really interesting that you're a part of that. And can you talk about a little bit about your background? I started doing motion, uh, computer animation mostly back in the mid-90s. Uh, I went to the School of Visual Arts. Uh, they had a, a degree program called Computer Art. I was basically the third class to graduate with that um, diploma. <laughs> oh, really? Because uh, it, uh, it was just starting out. I mean, the, the desktops, the desktop computer uh, 3D or uh, post-production video wasn't a big thing just yet in the mid-90s uh, since uh, a lot of the hardware was cross-prohibited. Um, it just so happens that it timed out that by the time I got out of that through the animation program, uh, mo- uh, motion graphic, at that, that time they didn't even call it motion graphics. You know, it was just called broadcast design or just animation. Uh, by the time I got out, which is 98, there was a whole hardware revolution uh, desktop PCs were able to handle um, video uh, editing, encoding. You had the mini DV revolution. You have like people now. You had like small uh, filmmakers. We the entry level, uh, the entry point for a filmmaker now was in, back in ninety six, ninety seven. Was basically, can you get a decent DV camera? Well, it's funny because I remember I I went to college in. 2001 2005 and in that time everybody had their own personal computer that they were taking to college was you know something you bought for like four or five hundred dollars and it had almost no ram and it was 
had almost no sp storage space. And I remember I would have to, to do my video editing when I was doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. I had a hard drive that I bought for, it was like 100 gigabytes. It was like, a, <laughs> it was like $150. Yeah. It was a lot of money back then for a college student. And I would have, and I'd keep the operating system on the hard drive yeah. and all my stuff on it. And oh. Plus my video. I told you we'll do the same thing. And I would have to reinstall the operating system every time I was going to edit. Yeah. And I would have to save every edit that I made because it crashed every five oh minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I somehow found a way to just reboot the computer off the hard drive and basically work in my own environment. <laughs> but yeah, I can totally relate with that story there. And it was just just at the beginning where it was it was feasible that you could even do it. Yeah. But it was not not easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were you had said before we started you're an artist before that mm -hmm. sketching doing maybe some some graffiti. How important is that having for somebody that may want to get into this? How important is it to have that design illustrator background getting into to motion graphic on a computer? Uh, I, I'd encourage anyone who wants to get into this industry to actually have uh, other interests other than just like uh, keyframing in a computer or moving vectors in a computer. I would say uh, someone being influences are dancing, uh, love mov movement, actual dancing, uh, painting is great, sculpture, if you want to be a modeler, uh, I mean, actual touching your hands on clay or chiseling away or soldering something or actually welding, um, drawing with charcoal, um, writing, writing stories. Because a lot of times I do feel stuck because, okay, so I might have all the know-how. Uh, I, I might have acquired some, a lot of know-how over the years and experience, uh, how to expedite a certain technique. But when you don't have any content, what are you going to produce? I mean, you're just going to be copying stuff so writing is important as abstract as that might seem compared to animation uh, writing a script is very important i've done a lot of teaching of people that want to maybe ch change careers you know they're they're into something else and there's two people that stick out in my mind that picked up video editing really fast because mm -hmm. that's what i taught and it was a choreographer a dancer mm -hmm. and a musician because yeah. those are the types of things that you you here's one thing and here's another thing and it's transition from one thing to the other it's like dancing it's 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 choreographed it's it's um and music it's it's rhythm and, and Tempo, pacing timing yep, yeah. yeah and it's it's interesting how those things they walk they kind of walked into video editing not they had to learn the interface of the computer software and that takes a little bit of time but just the rhythm and the pacing that makes a huge difference and and to be a well-rounded person yeah actually helps you in the other creative environment. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that helped me transition into the motion graphic uh, industry back in the late 90s was the fact that I had already some background with design and typography. Uh, while a lot of other, my counterparts at that time were either illustrators or 3D animators or 3D people who were trying to do some motion graphics, but... Um, Having the design background helped me understand uh, how to lay out a shot, how to uh, how to work with type better, as opposed to just kind of like, oh, the type's getting in the way, the design's getting in the way. I really have to think about this uh, technique and this lighting. And uh, but in time, everybody caught up. Uh, given uh, the power of the internet, it's been able to spread good work and. Uh, 
and ugly work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but over, at accessibility, the tools actually does spread. Uh, uh, does feel it make anybody uh, most a lot of people feel empowered to create, which is good. But over time, uh, how do you shed through that and and get to the cream? You know, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to be able to shed the ugliness after a while, just layer by layer, just like seeing how much of the, after you scratch through the surface of the shine of a design of a product, I mean, how much of, uh, how much value does it have? How honest is that product? And I, I know you said before we started that, that you worked with some agencies as well in New York and kind of bounced around. Um, and everyone, I think, you know, because of the show Mad Men mm-hmm. wants to, thinks of themselves as a creative type that could, you know, come up with ideas and idea person and everything else. Um, being in that environment, um, and and I know that Andy Warhol started off as an illustrator mm-hmm. for agencies, made a ton of money um, doing that back in the Mad Men days, mm-hmm. um, and, and then kind of transitions into, you know, art, of course. But um, can you talk a bit about your experience there and, and what your role was within in those agencies? Oh, yeah. Um, well... First of all, my uh, School of Visual Arts, uh, where I went to school uh, in New York, they um, they trained a lot of the madmen from Madison Avenue back uh, back even dating back to the 50s and 60s. Oh wow! Uh, a lot of the a lot of the guys who were the illustrators and graphic designers and photographers, or even copywriters, came out of the School of Visual Arts. So a lot of the art department that you see in Mad Men, the TV show, actually some of them were actually. Um, GIs it got a grant after World War II to actually go to a School of Visual Arts. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to be grateful for. Uh, <laughs> um, interestingly enough, I actually got to work on the Mad Men title sequence. Oh, really? Yeah, and we won an Emmy for that uh, back in 2008. We worked at um, uh, Imaginary, Force, Imaginary Forces. Um, back then, they were known for title sequences for movies and TV shows. Um the company got started by Kyle Cooper back in the uh, late 90s, I believe. So that was one of my dream jobs, to work uh, at uh, Imagining Forces. I ended up working at Imagining Forces basically about a, a, ye- a year after I left MTV. And that was a great experience there. Um, I got, at 24 years old, I... I was basically working those maniac hours. I mean, I'm getting at 10 and live at midnight and work seven days a week for months at a time. I mean, at that time, success, I equated success to working on the most uh, groundbreaking aesthetic projects. And I felt very accomplished at that time. But, uh, you know, it slowly burned. Uh, Burnout factors. Yeah, and, bur- and burn, uh, you know, a 24-year-old full of energy, uh, it's a good time to do it. Yeah, yeah I, I felt like yeah, this is, if if there was a time, this would be the time to do it. And um, but after a while, I I burnt out. I burnt out, but I got some really good work out of there. I I got to meet some really really talented people there. I mean, um, I met I mean Emily Wilson, uh, Emily Murphy. Now um, she lives out in Baltimore. Uh, a very talented motion graphics artist. Uh, I got to meet Eddie Opara, who is a partner at Pentagram now. Um, I got to meet uh, Miko Van Gastel, who is also a partner at Sibling Rivalry Studio in New York, and also uh, Stephen Fuller, 
who actually directed most of the title sequence for uh, Madman. And now he's his own director and his own right. So these are all guys that I met there um, who are doing extremely well. And uh, I mean, just it goes to show that, okay, you might be under pressure and working in like less, uh, the least favorable conditions, but and if you're working, surrounding yourself with some really good talent, I mean, that's shine. You'll have, you'll have some people that you would know over the years and, and, it's, and to see how their careers will evolve to the next stage. And it's kind of invaluable at that point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. And so, say, okay, so part of the narrative then, you get burned out at that, and then how do you, how do you progress and or where do you go from there? Oh, so then uh, after Imagining Forces, I did Imagining Forces about a year, and I burnt out. I, <laughs> <laughs> they had me working. Uh, they, I mean, work is not bad, but just the hours and the demands. And they had a L.A. office, but they started, and they just opened the New York office when I started there. So I was basically freelancer number two they hired. And uh, I got to experience most of the grunt of that uh, work and challenge, and they really try to prove themselves uh, in the New York market and prove to the LA office that they're worthy of their space and whatnot. So after that, uh, I left and I bounced around um, a number of uh, studios and agencies in New York uh, between uh, 2001 to 2004. I just went around and did the rounds with a lot of really great places. Um, uh, and uh, I still was feeling hollow. I was feeling empty. Uh, the creative process is not something that you can necessarily quantify or put any metrics to it. It's something, sometimes it's like it's a feeling that if you keep pouring into projects that are not giving in anything back other than money, you start feeling empty after a while. So I was trying to feel, feel, feel that vacuum up that I was creating by working a lot, and and just pouring all this creativity on all these commercial projects that, you know, I was just making commercials. I mean, most people just want to skip the commercial. Once I started realizing that at 25, 26, I was like, oh, maybe it's time to go to grad school. So around 2004, I decided to go back to grad school um, just to kind of uh, where I want to pivot, where I wanted to go with my career. How would you find that? I mean, you have all these skills and you've worked in the top notch the echelon, upper echelon of the, the, the industry, and then how do you find a program or fit into a, a master's program? Well, um, I developed a relationship with uh, my uh, undergrad chairman, Bruce Wands, at School of Visual Arts. And uh, it turns out that I found out that I followed, I still followed up with him, and he became the the chairman of the masters of uh, masters of fine art and computer art at School of Visual Arts as well, so I was like, "Oh, great! Uh, I have a good relationship with Bruce. Let me go back in there and just really flex all these skills that I've uh, I've I've I all these different shortcuts and workflows that I've developed over the over time, and just invest myself on like a couple passion projects while I'm actually getting a master's degree. I did exactly that." Bruce wants uh, just turn a blind eye. It's like just go to town, Fabian. Do what you want to do. <laughs> and obviously, it wasn't through a scholarship. I mean, I figured 
I didn't apply for any scholarships or anything like that because I figured if I pay for it, um, I wouldn't have to answer to anyone. Mm-hmm. I was got uh, working. Uh, that's a trade-off. If you're working for someone, you have to answer to the project, to the client, to the brand. Now, uh, 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 a soulless entity. <laughs> you have to answer to the brand. But, but in grad school, whoever's in grad school now, planning to go to grad school, really enjoy it. It's it was a a, a time where I took off. And, and really helped me grow as an artist and grow as a person and grow in confidence with uh, with a lot of the with a lot of the ideas that I have. So that gets me to my next point, which we've talked about your narrative, but we haven't really talked about your craft or, mm-hmm. or the work that you do specifically. So what would you say is your? I mean, do you have a? Is it? I'm sure it's evolved, mm-hmm. um, but if you had to speak about your aesthetic or mm-hmm. what you like about motion mm-hmm. art and graphics um, what would you say given my the experience and the hours and hours of work that I put in I like to work with filmmakers now collaborate uh, and 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 help them create a, 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 a very a, an exceptional product um, but they a lot of filmmakers that I work with you know here in DC or at the lookout itself they come they they come with a project. I mean, I understand, I empathize with where they're coming from, which is basically uh, they had to um, pitch the project, write the script, get it approved, make the changes, produ- production, shoot, edit, and then sound, and, and then rounds of revisions. And by the time <clears throat> it comes to finishing, they're like, I'm done. I mean, I've I've basically wrote, shot, edited, and made all these changes. Now we have to put the the final glaze over it, the finishing touches. And I usually come in and and they're out of gas at that point. Yeah, I I am like at that time I'm like it's like a relay race. I'm like, okay, great. I'll take this from you, and don't worry, have full confidence. I will I'll add all the brand support that you need. Uh, give me the style sheets or whatever the client comes with. And I'll just add all the graphics. Uh, a lot of times, I'll do some post color correction, sky replacement, uh, screen replacements. Just making sure that all that part is it. Uh, I take the intimidation factor out of that. Because a lot of times, as a filmmaker, you know, like a small team of three or four or five, going to a post production house, you know, you already like, oh, they got the nice chairs, the lighting. That can seem intimidating. Uh, and the bill can be intimidating as well. Well, and also some of them have like an open bar. Yeah. And then you're like, well, do I have to pay for that? Yeah. Can I just knock some money off? <laughs> yeah, where's that money coming from? <laughs> right. So I come with a lot of that experience as a one person. And, and I take the intimidation factor out of that post-production process. And I've been glad to say that in the past three years since I moved to D.C., I, I, I collaborated in a lot of projects with some really talented filmmakers here. That's that's so awesome to hear because, you know, I I've, I've been involved in the in the film industry here in DC mm-hmm. for a little while, and you start to it's it feels a little bit, um, not not to say small, but mm-hmm. it, it's it's not it's very um, it is small. It's a small community mm-hmm. compared to New York or LA, mm-hmm. um, but the but the fact that I think it is growing and mm-hmm. and there are um, 
because the city is also growing and becoming mm-hmm. a, kind of a, uh, like a world-class city and yeah. in some ways um, the talent is here too. What was the thinking of moving to D.C. in the first place? <laughs> it was a total fluke. Really? Mm-hmm. Recession happened in 2008 and that started to trickle down to advertising budgets uh, and uh, production budgets for a lot of the uh, houses and studios I used to work for. So during that time, <clears throat> I started doing less and less uh, environmental, you know, experience design projects and started focusing more back into just doing hardcore commercials like end tags and like logo, like mm-hmm. logos with like little toothpaste commercials, <laughs> Nike ads, sugar water ads, like uh, rubber sneakers. I mean, all of that, all that stuff that pay the most, like beauty ads. I, I just went in full in. And that just kind of sucked it out of me after three, four years. Uh, and and I started developing this, uh, I started developing a, a bit of a reputation for coming in at the last week of a failed project and fixing it. Fixer. The fixer. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so the bookings were starting to get shorter, but more intense. Mm-hmm. And I started to burn out again because I would come in and just like turn the project around and fix it but I wouldn't be brought in at the inception phase at the at the creative call at the brainstorming session I got called in when like all options are out and we just need somebody to execute and finish this because mm-hmm. the client's pissed off and uh, so the last two three years in New York from like 2000 it's job security but yeah yeah 2011 2013 i was like i'm burning out i can't take this anymore the bookings are shorter but more intense and every time i go into a situation it's a very tense situation and i have to just fix it um it's fine i mean some people love that i mean i'm not a litigation lawyer <laughs> this first some litigation lawyers and uh, stockbrokers you don't have a degree in facilitation and <laughs> conflict management yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's what they like doing. Uh, I didn't go to school for that. So um, I was like, oh, maybe DC will be a fresh start. And uh, so I came down here uh, and it was a rude awakening. Um, it took me about a year and a half to actually get used to the whole uh, community here. How how I was insulated before by clients. And clients have layers of... Uh, 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 layers of approval from like at the studio will get hired by a producer and we have art director, creative director and then that will go to an accounts person at the advertising agency and they will have their own creative director and then that in turn will go over to the to the client. Uh, here in DC all of a sudden all those layers disappeared and now I, I'm talking mostly either one degree or actually face-to-face the client, and uh, I didn't know how to do the normal speak. The speak is very different than when you work. You've been insulated in a production studio or an advertising mm. agency. agency. Uh, all the, the language is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to relearn and, and rethink how I communicated about a project from anywhere from the creative all the way down to the production. You say you've you've been working with filmmakers. It sounds like pretty, uh, in the 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 schedule is not as as crazy as maybe it used to be. 
looking back on, say, the last three years in D.C., is there a project that sticks out in your mind? I mean, you probably put everything into all the work that you do, but that you put, that you look back and you're just really proud of that that one film or that one aesthetic that you were able to hit? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, as much as I was, I've been busy working and grinding, grinding, grinding over the past three years here in D.C., because this uh, January 2017 will mark my three-year anniversary here, uh, would be the body of work I created for mostly advocacy and nonprofit work uh, done with... Uh, a lot of filmmakers, um, some of the filmmakers that you have to look out. I mean, from People's Television to uh, Emic Films to, um, uh, yeah, to, just to name a few. Um, they have done some, they, a lot of the work focuses on, on making the world a better place. And somehow I've been able to work off some of that karma <laughs> that I that I've been dragging for years, just making ads for things that are completely useless, you know, like like shiny phones and shiny sneakers. Like these are things that nobody really needs, but you do need a place that's uh, more connected and um, and a play. Uh, you need a better world, you know, a world that's that has more empathy with each other as human beings. So. Uh, I'd say it's not just a project in particular, it's just a body of work that's been created. Since this is kind of geared towards people that are looking to get in, what would you say is the most important thing, someone coming out of college, Mm -hmm. to know, um, trying to get into your space that you work in? You could learn a lot of these skills on your own, on Facebook, uh, to following a lot of YouTube links and Vimeo and buying buying courses online on lynda.com and whatnot. Yes, technique is great. But um, but if you're just doing it on your own and things just look great to you and you don't know how to pace yourself and you don't understand what how, what a real schedule is or even just interacting with like a team of people all day, um, those are skills that will take you really far. So I, I strongly advise with internships. Uh, they're very helpful um, to make you understand the speak that goes on in a production environment, the timeline that goes into a production environment, the actual uh, stress management or their conflict resolution, uh, and also you adjust your personality. You gotta just like you dial uh, levers for a certain plugin or volume, <laughs> you have to dial your personality up or down depending on the situation uh, in an environment. Instead of just you just being, you know, like the bedroom DJ, same thing. You're just like the bedroom animator, the bedroom editor. Like after a while, like. You start. You gotta get out there and actually work with people and understand what is it that they want and how to. You know, you put you there. It's a. It's almost like a service-based industry. You know, you can't be a waiter by yourself or a <laughs> chef by yourself. You actually have to either cook at a kitchen or go wait someone or host. Same thing uh, as an editor, as a filmmaker, as an animator, as a UI designer. You, you do have to interact with clients and, and, and just in general, teams, uh, you know, so you can adjust, uh, uh, you know, and you definitely need to get out there. Awesome. Fabian, it's been a pleasure. Thank thanks you. for coming on. Yeah, Appreciate thanks it. a lot, man. Awesome. Perfect. That was great, man. Thanks, man. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. Please subscribe on iTunes to media on the radio where each week it'll send 
the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. 